following sermon was delivered at Antioch Presbyterian Church, a mission work of Calvary Presbytery of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Woodruff, South Carolina. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit AntiochPCA.com or contact us at info at AntiochPCA.com. May the Lord bless you as you receive gracious instruction from His Word. Surely you mothers know what a healthy appetite is, don't you? Or any caretakers in our midst, fathers, mothers, friends, daughters, whatever the case may be, you know what a healthy appetite looks like. It looks like when your children come to you or the person in your care comes to you and says, hey, when's dinner time? I'm hungry. That's what a healthy appetite looks like. Now, we also know what a ruined appetite looks like. And that's when you serve up dinner and your children say to you, I'm not hungry, I ate three lollipops an hour ago. That's what a ruined appetite looks like. Now our text this morning describes the proper kingdom appetite of the citizens of God's kingdom of heaven. As Christ pronounces blessings upon his people in in these beatitudes, as he's describing what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, what kingdom living looks like, and pronounces blessing upon that for the character that is promised in uh, in these kingdom people, the character that is to come. He is issuing, again, royal decrees and divine graces pronounced to the people of God and against the kingdom of sinful spiritual rebellion in the world. In other ways, Christ is showing, in other words, I should say, Christ is showing us what a healthy appetite looks like over and against a ruined or unhealthy appetite, so to speak. And what I'm going to show you this evening, or try to show you this evening from Matthew 5, verse 6, in this beatitude, is that God blesses all those, and only those, who yearn to be right with God and free from sin. God blesses all those, and only those, who yearn to be right with God and free from sin. And now we'll consider this under three headings, kind of with the key terms here. And I'm following Martin Lloyd-Jones on this because I think it's a good way of breaking down the text. First, we'll consider what righteousness means in this text and context. That's our first heading, righteousness. And then our second heading, hunger and thirst, what that means in our text this evening. And then thirdly, satisfaction. What it means to be satisfied, or as the King James puts it, to be filled, as it were, to have your hunger met. So first, considering righteousness. Righteousness, very simply, in this text and in many other contexts in Scripture, means to be right with God. Now, this... Your mind might be going, because we have a lot of mature Christians here and well-catechized children, your mind may be fleeing immediately to the concept of justification. That is to be constituted righteous in the sight of God, to be pardoned of your sin and iniquity, and and by standing on Christ's merits, to be received into God's presence. And though that is justification is necessary to be right with God, that's not what's being described here in our text. When we read about righteousness... Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We're not speaking narrowly of justification. So I want to put that out there right at the outset. But positively, what righteousness means in our text today means to enjoy God's presence and being in His presence. 
being right with him in the fullest expression of that or fullest understanding of what it means to be right with God. In other words, to experience fullness of joy in the immediate presence of God. Last week when we looked at the previous beatitude, you may recall that we went to Psalm 37. And I, th- and I think Christ quotes Psalm 37 directly in the previous beatitude. And he continues to build on some ideas that are present in Psalm 37. Psalm 37 verses 5 and 6 says, commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him and he will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. In other words, What this is positively speaking of is something that God works in us and brings to us through faith in Him. That is a right relationship with Him expressed in all of our various other relationships in this life. Uh, Peter writes in 2 Peter 3.13, According to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So positively speaking, it's basking in the presence of God. And we know that in God's presence, through relationship with Christ Jesus, we experience, as Christ again and again in Matthew's gospel in particular, and in Luke's gospel, we experience a great feasting, a great communion and fellowship with God. Psalm 81 verses 10 and then 16 puts it like this, I, the Lord, am your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. But I would feed you from the finest of the wheat, and with honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. Do you hunger and thirst for this kind of relationship with God? To be nourished on His Word without any hindrance, to experience His grace in fullest measure. That's that's what is being described here in terms of righteousness. Now, negatively, this righteousness is to be free from something else. So positively, it's to enjoy God and all his benefits. But negatively, it's to be freed from and separated from what Psalm 81 says, Egypt, but what we know to be the guilt, power, curse, and especially the pollution of sin, which settles down deep in our hearts, even down to the level of our appetites and our desires and affections. It's as it were, you come to the dinner table, children, and you have two meals prepared for you. You have the meal that your mother lovingly prepared for you, full of good things like broccoli and mac and cheese and maybe sweet potato casserole, and you know it's good for you. And then you have another meal that some strange-looking character that, that is visiting your house has set before you, full of maggots and worms and, and mud and nasty things. Which meal are you going to pick that's set before you? You're going to pick your mother's meal because it's not going to make you sick. It'll make you strong and healthy. It will be a delight to you. It's a good thing. This other meal, call it sin, it's nasty. It's going to make you sick to your stomach. It's going to terrorize you. And so... What righteousness is in this context is essentially the enjoyment of this meal, the good meal that's set before you, and freedom from being able to throw out the rotten goods that are put on the table in front of you. Now, how can you enjoy this righteousness? Well, the only way to be righteous with God is to be resting on Christ. 
It's to respond to his call as he says to us in Isaiah 55, 1 through 3. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. It is through casting yourself on Christ in response to this call that goes out from his word then that you can enjoy this righteousness, that you can be in right standing with God. It's only through faith and justification through faith that then we are made right with God. Jeremiah puts it this way in Jeremiah 33, 15, and 16. In terms of a promise, he says, In those days and at that time I will cause a righteous branch of David to spring forth, and he shall execute justice and righteousness on the earth. In those days Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell in safety, and this is the name by which she will be called, The Lord is our righteousness. Brothers and sisters, if you're tempted to rest on anything else other than Christ Jesus day by day and week by week, remember these verses. Remember that glorious picture from Ezekiel 36, which I read, this picture of abundance and fruit, not for your sakes, but for the Lord's sake, for his glory, he will do it. And it's resting on that promise and on that great truth then that we can experience the righteousness of God and be right with him. So that, I think, sets forth righteousness in our text. Well, what does it mean to hunger and to thirst for this righteousness? What does it mean to hunger and thirst for the Lord, our righteousness, in our text? Well, hunger and thirst used here, it's a persistent, painful need directed towards something. And that something, in this case, is heavenly in nature, as I've sought to already describe under our first heading. But let's take a closer look at hunger and thirst, what this looks like. First, hunger and thirst expresses a persistent, painful need. Have you ever been hungry? I mean, really, really hungry? Yeah, between breakfast and lunch, you get hungry, kids. We know what that hunger is. Or you're on a long road trip, and you forgot to eat something on the way, and you go. Or perhaps you've been in an acute, even emergency situation, and you've grown thirsty. I spoke with one man and woman in their 80s who went up to Table Rock. They didn't bring enough water with them. And they were fearful that they almost died. They began to overheat, and their mouths were dry, and they were desperate for water. And that's what hunger and thirst looks for. It's persistent it's painful. It persists until it's satisfied. There's no doubt in the mind of a hungry man, a truly hungry man, that he needs something because his knowledge is the consequence of a deep sensation of pain that takes root in his gut and affects every part of his body as he grows weak and in pain. There was a, I just read in the news yesterday, two young boys, ages seven and nine, two brothers in an indigenous people group in Brazil living close to the Amazon in the um, Amazonas uh, province of, or state of Brazil, they wandered away from their village. They got lost in the Amazon jungle for, I think it was 14 days. And finally, they were found and they were alive. They had subsisted on wild fruit, but they were covered in uh, bug bites and scratches from thorns. They were lying on the ground in a farmer's field, unable to move their legs any longer because they had not been adequately fed. 
And those little boys were airlifted to a nearby hospital, and, and they're okay now. I mean, they're in serious condition, but they're stable and they're recovering. That's what it means to be hungry. You feel pain, and it locks you down, and you shut down until you're satisfied. Psalm 42, which we just sang, opens with this beautiful image of a deer panting and seeking for water. And this is the perfect picture of the spiritually hungry man or woman, restless, needy, even desperate and starving. As a deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before him? Don't you see all those elements there? Hungering, thirsting for righteousness, wanting to be able to stand before him and relate to him, to be right with him. All of that's present here. St. Augustine his famous prayer or his uh, famous testimony, he says, my soul was restless until it found its rest in you, O God. That's what this hunger and thirst is, a persistent, painful need for the Lord. And that's really where it's directed. It's directed to God himself and his righteousness. In this case, as we see in the Beatitude, it's specifically directed to the righteousness of God exercised only in his kingdom. Remember, these are kingdom proclamations and statements that Christ is making. Psalm 63, verse 1, uh, or Psalm 63 opens this way, O God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And then Psalm 143, verse 6 picks up on the same theme. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul longs for you as in a parched land. That is what is being described here. It's directed not just toward satisfaction or happiness or blessedness generically, but it's directed toward God specifically and His righteousness. What is the world after? The world is after happiness, comfort, leisure, freedom, autonomy, anything but God. But Christ is saying here, blessed, happy are those who hunger and thirst, not for happiness or blessedness or comfort or leisure, but for righteousness. Those who, like the psalmist, have a thirst and a hunger for God and to be in his presence. J.C. Ryle said that those who hunger and thirst after righteousness are, quote, those who desire above all things to be entirely conformed to the mind of God. Is this your desire this evening? Is this your hunger, your thirst? What is it that you want? You want a little bit of peace in your household? You want some security? You want assurance that things are going to go your way in the weeks and months to come with all the instability in the world? Do you want a large stock portfolio or a big retirement fund? Do you want a lot of property? Do you want success in your vocation? Do you want your children to grow up to be Christians? Notice I'm saying some good things. Things that you ought to desire, but what above all else do you want? To be conformed to the mind of God? That's the question that I set before you this evening. Christ tells us in Matthew 13, 43, that in the kingdom of heaven, those who desire above all things to be entirely conformed to the mind of God will shine forth as the sun. The righteous will shine forth as the sun. 
Now finally, as we consider hunger and thirst, and this is probably the most important point in my sermon, I want you to listen to this, if nothing else. That is that this appetite, which is described here, this hunger, this thirsting, it's a heavenly appetite. It's a heavenly spiritual appetite. You cannot muster up hunger and thirst after righteousness on your own. For we are but dust. We are of the earth. We are creatures. Made in God's image, yes, but creatures all the same. And fallen creatures. Born into sin. In a condition and pollution of sin. With a record of sin. We can't muster up a hunger and thirst for righteousness on our own. It must come from without us. We can't manufacture it. You cannot strive for it or do anything to make it come about. It is an altogether heavenly spiritual appetite. It's a spiritual endowment or gift received only through the new birth. If you don't have this appetite, if you couldn't care less about the righteousness of God, my friend... You are in a dangerous, even deadly position. Ephesians 2 verse 1 describes you as dead in trespasses and sins. You have zombie appetites, undead appetites. And you must come alive in Christ Jesus by the work of His Spirit. In other words, you must be born again if you are to have this hunger and thirsting after righteousness. It is utterly non-negotiable. You must be born again. There's no kingdom living with a perverted or carnal appetite for that which is directly opposed to Christ in his kingdom. There's no kingdom living without a kingdom appetite. If you don't hunger for righteousness, for God, if you don't have a desire to be with him and to be conformed after his image, then quite frankly... I would suspect you're not born again. If you desire and hunger and yearn for other things above complete conformity to God and enjoyment of His blessedness for all eternity, then again, I would suspect you are not born again. Or you have erected idols around you that are distracting you and pulling you away. But my friends, you must be born again. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, and it's worth quoting at some length. But now the man who hungers and thirsts after righteousness is a man who wants to get rid of that desire for sin, not only outside, but inside as well. In other words, he longs for deliverance from what you may call the pollution of sin. Sin is something that pollutes the very essence of our being and our nature. The Christian is one who desires to be free from all that. If you take a glass of water and a one drop of red food dye into that glass, the whole glass of water will turn red in an instant. And that's sin's effect on us. It penetrates into every aspect of our being and especially into our affections and the seed of our affections, that which motivates everything else that we do. Do you desire to be freed from that? If so, give praise to God. He's given you His Spirit. He's worked, you, he's worked in you that you might be a new man. 
Not conformed after the pattern of this ungodly age, but rather more and more being conformed to the image of his son, who was without pollution, who was utterly righteous in every aspect of his being. And finally, there's no uniting sinful appetites or identities to Christ. You can't say that you want to be a clear glass of water and a red cup of water at the same time. And yet there are fools in this world, even in the church, who seek to say that and to lead many astray. And they're sadly quite successful in this, as evidenced over the last couple of years, even in our own denomination. But my friends, you must be born again. Finally, we've considered hunger and thirst, and we've considered righteousness. What does it mean now to be satisfied? To be satisfied with righteousness. What is this promise that Christ is making as he's describing the character of the kingdom? That you shall be satisfied. Well, first, you'll be satisfied with gospel promises, or the fulfillment of gospel promises, I should say. Here and now, and in eternity to come. There's no satisfaction of worldly appetites, is my point here. There's no sad, if, if you desire things of this world and you consume them, no matter how much you consume them, you will never be satisfied. Surely most of us, anyway, have heard the stories of billionaires and the uber-rich who they get to the end of their lives and someone asks them, what is it that you wish you had more of in this world? And they said, I wish I had more money. The richest people who've ever lived, that's what they say. They're not satisfied with that which they have pursued their whole lives. There are those who seek the delights of a large family like many of us enjoy. And they have child after child after child and yet are never satisfied with their family because they've put it first over and above God himself. I know one family quite well uh, back home who... They speak all the time that family is the most important thing, and yet brothers and sisters never talk to one another. They can't find satisfaction in the idol which they've erected. There's no satisfaction of worldly, misdirected appetites. Proverbs 27.20 says that the eyes of man are never satisfied. Proverbs 30 verses 11 to 14 describes it in, in imaginative language. There's a kind of man who curses his father and does not bless his mother. There is a kind who is pure in his own eyes, yet is not washed from his filthiness. There is a kind, oh how lofty are his eyes, and his eyelids are raised in arrogance. And then finally, there is a kind of man whose teeth are like swords and his jaw teeth like knives to devour the afflicted from the earth and the needy from among men whose appetite is never quenched or satisfied. In Matthew 7.15 Christ describes false prophets as ravenous wolves and they're just pale reflections of their master. What 1 Peter 5.8 describes is Satan being a roaring lion always prowling about seeking somebody to devour never satisfied. There's no satisfaction in worldly carnal desires, but there is satisfaction promised in the gospel. God promises to satisfy the born-again believer in his kingdom appetite. The yearnings, the longings of the righteous shall be satisfied. And so sure is this promised satisfaction for those who yearn for the righteousness of God that Christ pronounces as blessed even now. Notice he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. 
He pronounces blessedness and even happiness today upon all those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So does the Christian experience such satisfaction even now? Immediately upon accepting the Lord Jesus Christ? Immediately upon being born again? Is there, is there satisfaction that's, that's tasted, that's experienced? The answer is yes. Though our souls are sometimes worn out by the pangs of hunger for more steady faith, more holiness, less doubt, less sinfulness, we who are Christ's will be satisfied in God's own time, by the Word, by the Spirit, by the return of Christ eventually, but even in our day-to-day lives. We will find satisfaction and rest for our souls. In part, in measure, perhaps even intermittently as we make our progress through this pilgrimage, fraught as it is with difficulties, trials, and frustrations, but yet nonetheless, you and I, dear Christian, shall be satisfied in Christ even today. And we can receive these words from Christ as true words. Blessed are you when you hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now our ultimate satisfaction, though, will be in eternity, won't it? The Christian will have satisfaction, as our catechism puts it, the full enjoying of God for all eternity. Satisfaction is found ultimately, in this sense, in communion with God through Christ, in whose presence is infinite delight. We'll never plumb the depths of it. The hymn puts it well, that we can sing of His grace for 10,000 years and never run out of new material. That's what satisfaction in eternity looks like. Psalm 17.15 puts it even better. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. I will be satisfied with beholding your likeness when I awake. Believers, one day you will close your eyes in death and you will open them upon the face of your blessed Savior and be satisfied in His goodness, in His glory, and you will be made just as He is, if He should tarry. And if not, perhaps you will live to see Him descending from the clouds with a shout and at the trumpet call. And you will see Him, and you will rejoice and be satisfied, even as the wicked nations of the world flee from His glorious presence. Such is the promise that's granted to the Christian believer in this beatitude, and such is the experience of each of us that we can long for and expect to see the Lord Jesus. What kind of appetite do you have? Do you have a healthy appetite? Do you have a wild appetite? Do you have a ruined appetite? And what have you brought with you into worship this evening? A hunger and thirst for Christ's righteousness? An eagerness to devour the Word of God? To be nourished on it? To be strengthened by it? A proper kingdom appetite? That which is possessed by those who have been born again and raised up with Christ? Hungers and thirsts for God and His righteousness? And what I've sought to show you then in defining these key terms of righteousness, hunger, and thirst, and then satisfaction, is that God blesses all those and only those who yearn to be right with God and free from sin. And this hunger, this thirst, this righteous, this righteous appetite for righteousness longs to see Christ's kingdom come. And longs to see as we pray His will be done. And this hunger, this thirst, this appetite 
alone among all the manifold appetites that we see around us and within us. This one alone shall be satisfied. If you are resting in Christ Jesus, you will behold his face and be satisfied for eternity and forevermore. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Antioch Presbyterian Church. We are located in the historic Cashville community of Woodruff, South Carolina, near the intersection of South Carolina Highways 101 and 417. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit AntiochPCA.com.